What's up, Thrivecast Nation? This is Clay Frost. Today we have an awesome episode. I've been pumped. Uh, I actually just came across Duke just the other day, and this is the fastest a podcast has ever come together. So we'll do a quick introduction, get right into it. This is Duke Mannyweather. He is, uh, I mean, you run the OL Offensive Lineman Mastermind. Is that, am I saying that all right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. He has, he plays a humongous part, big hand in developing some of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Um, when you reached out to me, I kind of looked at what you were doing, um, quickly subscribed to your podcast, quickly looked at, you know, some of the guests and what they were presenting. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. I knew I had a window where I could do it on Wednesday. Good. And so I knew the sooner the better. So here we are. Awesome. I love it. There's some heavy hitters on that show that I don't think a lot of people know. And like, I, I hope no, people are listening to what, all the episodes. <laughs> that's what caught my attention is that you've got a lot of gems and nuggets there of uh, high performers and got and people that have, uh, you know, have been on the trajectory of mastery. And so when I look at my journey and some of the things and some of the work I've done, um, and when I say work, not the physical work, but the mental work, um, I, I tend to look at those because what I've seen is a poor high performance and mental resilience is being able to look at other backgrounds um, and people who are performing high in their field and take that back to your field. Because when you when you only okay. stay in your field, what ends up happening was you don't really get it because it becomes so saturated with what you already know. It becomes an echo chamber and then confirmation bias. But when you step you're using out all the words field, I love, like you're just like reading my mind right now. <laughs> When you, when you reach out to the other fields um, and see how those people perform and kind of what their process is, that allows you to really look, take a long, hard look in the mirror and reevaluate and then resurface of, you know, what you're doing. And that enhances mm-hmm. what you're trying to do in your particular field. Yeah, I love it. The, all the some knowledge does not exist in your own field. You got to go searching, especially if you want to innovate and create and change the game you have to go searching yeah and that that's one thing that i've been fortunate enough um i laugh at it because i'm not really a person you know supposed but in the past couple of years what we've done with online masterminds at the highest level with the nfl offensive linemen in terms of providing a space for the ultimate professional development for these type of guys um, to, you know, what we were doing with, you know, high school offensive linemen with the final five mm-hmm. Academy kind of ran in conjunction with stack sports and, um, you know, Nike, it's never been done before. We're providing yeah. a space. We're providing a structure. We're providing a template, um, to get these guys to realize the best they can be. And we're doing it in a way that has never been merged before that you're going to be familiar with. We know the three things that you can train. You could train your craft, you could train the body, and we try to make sure we train the mind with it. So when we get all three of those, we know that uh, essentially we're going to put these these athletes, whether it's at the highest level of the NFL or those high school level, we're going to start to change the mindset, which will then take care of the person, which then takes care of the athlete. And all of a sudden, you got a better human being at home, you got a better human being in the classroom, and then a better human being around your team. So that's really what it's all about is that we're kind of pushing the envelope of what development is and we're providing not only context, but a broad spectrum and we're doing it holistically. I love that, man. I love it. 
when you do that, I, I'm sure you've seen this, but it seems like the ceiling of those athletes just immediately starts raising that, that their potential just gets way bigger. Have you seen that as you've been start, as you've been doing this mastermind stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things is I firmly believe that, especially at the mastermind and at the pro level, when you're at the pro level, you're the best of the best. So like fans do this thing where they say, oh, that guy sucks. There's nobody <laughs> on the NFL roster who sucks. Now, there's a lot of guys on NFL rosters who don't realize their potential or they're missing an aspect of mm. high performance, which typically is probably the mental game. And so what I've seen, though, is once we give these guys the tools, okay, and we're talking about physically, we're talking about craft and tactic-wise, and then also mentally, it absolutely raises the capacity for development, which it's already there. Once we identify what that capacity of development is, it's realizing that potential. And what we've been able to do, too, is really instill a bit of confidence. And we know confidence is a story that we tell ourselves. So we try to make sure that um, we're giving these guys, again, the tools in all three phases. That way, that story that they're telling themselves is consistent where where they want to be and how they need to be. I love it. I love it. Um, we got off. Normally, I always start with the immediate definition of thriving. I've loved the conversation so far, but let's bounce back, rewind a little bit. What is thriving to you? What does it mean? What does it feel like? What does it look like? How do you know when you are thriving Duke? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thriving is really, uh, it, it really could be taken in many different ways, but simply put, it's flourishing, but when you're in the flow state, you know, when you're, when people like to say the zone. And for mm -hmm. me, what that looks like is, uh, you know, I'm a very regimented person. So I'm up at 4 a.m. and it's 4 a.m. and it's pedal to the metal. But within that, it is, everything is calculated. You know, I've got time, I've got time management in place, uh, whether it's working with people, um, whether it's business calls, whether it's my own training as I'm a competitive power lifter, um, whether it's doing podcasts. So for me, with thriving um, essentially is being in my rhythm and continuing to, to, to spread the trajectory in which where I'm trying to go and take online masterminds and then always just keeping it in a positive light. Um, so again, as long as I'm in flow, uh, we're good. Good things are going to happen. And I try not to be in fight or flight, you know, um, because at that point, nothing gets done because now you're, you're reacting yeah. versus, you know, um, setting the structure in place where now you're executing. So for me, again, thriving is the execution, everything that I, that I put out. How do you balance that difference between thriving as, as kind of in the flow state and execution? Cause sometimes those don't always merge. Uh, how they do don't. you balance it? How do you, I mean, sometimes you can execute in flow. Like that's obviously where we want to be, but yeah. how do you manage the, the, those difference there? It's tough. And really, what it boils down to is doing the work to understand uh, where your strong wheelhouse is and where you may be lacking. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is even if we're in flow and we're executing, um, sometimes that doesn't always mean that you're thriving um, for, for what, you're, what you're really shooting for. 
And a lot of times the roadblock is very simple is that you try to get too far out of your strong suit when in which you rely kind of on that, not so much negative, but you rely on that, that, that back, that back part in which you need to probably expand upon a little bit. And so when that ends up happening, it kind of adds in a roadblock. So for me, what I try to make sure that I do in terms of execution and thriving is that it's not good enough for me to really set goals, but I must have action steps and then objectives. And so once I set those and I give myself a time frame or something like that, it allows me to self-check and redo the work. That way, not only am I thriving and execute, I mean, not only am I executing in flow, but at that point, I know that if I've got those goals, I've got those extra steps and I got the objectives and the expectations in them, then I'm going to thrive if I'm checking the box on all those. Yeah. I think so many times what ends up happening is people set a goal and they start working to that goal, but they really don't have a process. So they don't have the action steps. They don't have the objectives and they don't have the self-check. So one of the things that really I try to tell whether it's people in my personal life or people, um, you know, that I, um, players that I'm developing is that like, if you have a goal, it's not good enough until you put those action steps in there and then the objective is clear. And then really you've got the expectations, which in time, in terms of a time frame or how much you're going to spend doing that. Because what I've seen is that when people just set that goal and try to go after it with by any means necessary or get it done, that becomes toxic because now you're experimenting. You're spinning the wheels because if you need to be able to replicate that particular success, you don't have the recipe to do it. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm going to say a phrase. I want you to react on it. Um, you never raise to the, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> you never raise your level of performance to the moment you fall to your process. Low. Yeah, absolutely. What you've set in terms of systems. I tell, I tell guys that all the time, you will always revert back to your, your highest level of training or your lowest level of training. It's very simple. You be the judge of that. So whatever your process is, if your process is lowly and you're spinning the wheels trying to find, that's what you're going to revert back to. Yeah. Gosh, I can't, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your training. That was the phrase yeah. I wanted to put out there, but it just was uh, sticky. Um, yeah. I love it, man. I, I really like the idea that I think a lot of people learn well uh, when you point out what not to do and you say, okay, don't do this. Like that's the kind of the first, first phase of learning. You're like, okay, this is things I should do, things I shouldn't do. So help me identify what is the opposite of thriving? What do you want to avoid completely? <laughs> Honestly, the opposite of thriving is, is very simple. It's not thriving. It's not flourishing. It's being, and, and when I say that, it'll make sense here. It's being stuck in a way that you can't get yourself out because you have no process. Okay. You have no action steps. A lot of times you don't even have any goals because what ends up happening is people oftentimes look at what they can't do instead of, you know, what can I do? And so, as you said, People always want to be told what to do and not so much like, you know, oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Um, I truly believe that in before you can start directing, you have to start connecting. And what that means is you start you need to start connecting to what it is, 
who you want to be. How do I need to be? And what does it take to do that? Because if you don't do that, that, that literally is the opposite of flourishing because mm-hmm. you, you blow with the wind. I mean, you've got no foundation to stand on. You've got no foundation or no anchor to drop. So my advice to people is be clear on who you want to be. How do I need to be? What does that mean? How do I feel when I'm that way? And I think once you do that, then you'll be back on the, tra- the trajectory to, to start to flourish. If not, it's literally the exact opposite. I love it, man. I love it. I There's something that I really like about this idea. A lot of people will go towards, um, they'll, they'll do things so they can have things and then they can become things. And, and I think that that's really just opposite. We have to first focus on who we are, how we show up, the things that you know, the identity, how we see ourselves. And then as we be things, then we can start doing things and then ultimately have them. I think a lot of times we inverse it and it gets people a lot messed up. It gets them really distracted. And, and ultimately they never truly find themselves in who they are. They're floating in the wind and whatever else, because they're not focusing on who they are, how they're supposed to be showing up and, and moving forward. Yeah, how would absolutely. You that? Absolutely. And it, and it goes back to the whole thing about the process versus the end result. So if we only work to the end result. You're going to try to get there by any means necessary instead of having a process, again, a goal, action steps, objectives, and then really sticking to that. Once you iron out your process, once you iron out who you need to be and how do you need to be, you know, that kind of takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um People fall into this trap all the time of seeing something that they want and thinking that they can go right to it and they avoid the process. They avoid the ability to be able to replicate that success. Um, And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that uh, this could all go away tomorrow. You know, I mean, success, whatever you, however you identify that, however you define it is rented and you know, the, the Pied Piper comes and collects rent every single day. Um, and so you've always got to put your back to the wall and do the work with your hands, you know. And that that could be mental work. That could be the physical work. It doesn't matter. But you've always got to put your back to the wall and do the work. And so knowing that this can all go away in one day, you've got to have a process. Because I think what you end up hearing and saying is that some of the people who are the most successful have failed so many times. And now it's almost a welcome failure because it gives them kind of something to work forward or work for again. And I, I've got a friend who is close to a billionaire and he said, mm-hmm. you know what? He goes, I've worked my whole life to do this. He goes, but I would invite he goes, I would invite, like, if something was to ever happen, I lost it all. He goes, I have it all back in no time. He goes, because now I know how to do it. He goes, yeah. I made so many mistakes along the way. And so I kind of adapted that mindset. And I'm like, man, if this went all, if this all went away for me tomorrow, it would be a bummer, but I would immediately get back to work because now I've made so many mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many roadblocks along the way that now I know the questions to ask. I know the people to align with. I know the things to avoid. Um, I know the process. I know the, how to set action steps. 
and even the time management aspect will all be improved. So again, it goes back to being clear with who you are, what you want, what your process needs to be, and then be real with yourself in terms of goals, action steps, expectations, and objectives. Love it, man. You're just giving like content gold out here. Um, let's. You told me a little bit about a story about where you hit rock bottom. I'd love to hear. I think my my audience would be very intrigued in hearing more about it. 2014, set the stage. Go for it. Yeah, 2014. So everybody's heard uh, the rock seven seven buck story that past couple of years has come out. Um, I've got kind of my own story about that. Um, I was working. Um, you know, with somebody and kind of doing the same thing I'm doing um, now, but I wasn't working for myself. And quite frankly, it was somebody that I looked up to. Uh, it was somebody that I trusted. And apparently he saw things differently than I did. Um, to this day, I still don't really know uh, what transpired and went down. But what I do know is the night before we had our falling out, um, the Sunday night, I got a low balance alert from Chase and it was an email and a text message. And it says, you have $12 and five cents in your a balance of, you know, it was negative. And it, it was startling because I'm like, all right, well, I'll get paid this week. You know, so mm -hmm. be it. I had never been that low. You know, I had never been that low in terms of money, but that's literally all I had. There was no savings. There was no mom and dad bailing me out by my name. Duke Mannyweather, I had $12.05 in my name. Next morning, go in, the whole thing fell down on me. Um, essentially, I was let go. We had our falling out. We went our separate ways. And uh, that was that. That was probably in August of 2014. And from August 2014 until probably May, April or May, of 2015, I knew I was hurt. I didn't understand. I questioned myself. Um, and um, when most people would say, you know, they fell into a depression, they lost everything. I didn't do that. It was something different. For me, it was an awakening because mm. I was pissed off. And I think I was pissed off because I particularly looked up to this person. I looked up to this person and I felt like I was taken advantage of. I felt like that there was ego involved. I felt like that, you know, it was just, it, there was something narcissistically I had become a victim of. So yeah. I took it upon myself from that moment on. I had a real self check. I said, okay, here's where I am here's where I want to go. What do I need to do? How do I need to be? And that started with me waking up at 4am every morning and I worked out and I had probably got into the best shape of my life. Um, I got down to 235. And so I would spend the morning training. Um, and then of course I found, I was able to get a, um, a job that was like a nutrition consultant slash um, salesperson for a company in Arizona called High Health. And immediately I had leaned on my experience from a college coach in recruiting where we had this term called belief without evidence. 
And it was essentially painting a picture of how you can make somebody's life better to reel them in for recruiting and coming to your campus. Well, I use that within sales. And quickly I became the top person in the company within a couple of months. And again, it was the process that I used was the same across the board. And so I would wake up every morning, I worked out, I trained hard. I knew the only thing that I can control, I couldn't control how people treated me. I couldn't control uh, some of the, you know, things that were said about me, but I knew the things that I could control is how I chose to be receptive of them and how I chose to process them. And so I chose to process them and use them as fuel. And that, that allowed me to get a process down of training hard every morning, putting the right things into my body, um, studying, um, learning more about my craft and my field and what I want to do. Um, along with learning another aspect of, you know, working at with the nutrition company. And shortly after that, I found myself all of a sudden, at, after I got to, I was like in my best place mentally, my best place physically, I had bought myself out of the rut of $12.05. You know, I was making money. Um, you know, I wasn't in the football game really anymore. I got a call from the Dallas Cowboys. And at that point, I took a consulting job with them. Um, I would split time between Dallas and Arizona. And I remember every morning I would wake up and I would say, I don't know what I'm preparing for, but I'm preparing for something. There was a battle, you know. I felt like I was preparing for a war or I was preparing for some type of task that I couldn't see, but I knew I needed to be ready. And so mm -hmm. as I continue to do this work around the process, there's a phrase that you, I know you're familiar with. What has your preparation prepared you for? And the moments within the moments. And I realized very quickly that I had spent August until essentially July, August, September, like almost 12 to 13 months preparing myself for a task that I had no idea that was coming, but I could feel it. I didn't know what that direct task was going to be. And that really put me on the trajectory to where I am now, realizing that when I feel something, when I see something, that I've got to go with it. And I got to be prepared at all times to be able to, to attack that. So I, I went, it was about a year process to really get me to where I need to be, um, you know, on all three levels to where I really hit my stride. And it's been all up ever since. Can, can we rewind a little bit to where the Dallas Cowboys just call you out of nowhere? <laughs> what was that yeah. like? Was uh, that was, a connection was, you had or that sounds yeah, I mean, so cool to me? When you're, when you're in this field, um, when you're in this world, names start getting thrown around. And so they had a particular job in which they thought that um, I, would, I would be good for. Um, it wasn't a coaching job. It had nothing really to do with anything that I was used to doing. Um, I was used to scouting and evaluating. I was used to developing and coaching offensive line. It had nothing to do with that. It was more of a um, liaison between um, players, team security, player development. So it was more like mentoring and life coaching. And so I was, I took that gig um, and I was very fortunate for it. From, for it. Um, did that for a few years. Learned a ton. Learned, learned a ton about just people, you know, uh, people's process and seeing trends and, uh, 
you know, the people that are successful and then the people who don't quite make it. And then like how coaches deal with them, how personnel deal with them. And so I was just a, really a fly on the wall to take that all in because at the end of the day, I knew that this was just, for me, it was an event. It was not my destination. I wasn't going to wake up and do that for 40 years as a career. Yeah. My destination has always been developing NFL offensive linemen, developing the next generation of offensive linemen, high school and college. That's what I knew I woke up and I was passionate about. And to me, when you're passionate about something, um, you will stop at no means to realize that passion, you know, to, to yeah. fulfill that purpose. And for me, that was important that I lived a purpose-driven life versus wavering and chasing, um, you know, a paycheck. Because there was times where I've made buku money um, after I was had the $12.05 to my name. And um, I realized that, like, there were certain situations where I was just like, I don't like this. This does nothing for me. I don't care how much money I'm making. What I want to do is this. And yeah. so I made the decision to really continue to own the trajectory to fulfill my purpose and my life's work. And that's where we are today. I love that, man. That is, as so many golden nuggets there. I, I love the idea of living a purpose filled life. When did you know that that was your purpose? Like what, what moment were you like, you're training some, you're training an O-lineman and you're like, this is it. This is the future. Ironically, I always knew it. And I, well, I say always knew it. I knew it when I was in probably my senior year in college. Yeah. My senior year in college, I knew really what it, what it was. It was, I felt like offensive linemen were handled wrong with development, evaluated wrong by coaches, by scouts. And just overall, it just I think people had it wrong. They had us wrong. We are a different level of uh, thinkers. We're a different level of being in terms of how we carry ourselves. And so that mm-hmm. takes special and nuanced guidance from everything from the ground up. And so kind of what some of my experiences were in college where I had a tremendous strength coach. Um, I had a decent offensive line coach, but I think the offensive line coach and the head coach just weren't the best in terms of evaluating and then completely developing players. And after I went back and looked at it again, it was one of those things where I, first I thought it was me. Then I realized it wasn't me. It was with, you know, it was something else. Mm-hmm. And um, it took years to really realize that there was a need in this space for somebody to really stand up and not so much fight, but be the light to continue to advance this position. Because there's been so many changes in this position over the year from the big burly, you know, couldn't move guy that would just maul you to the more athletic guy. And so with that transition, um, it it was like vital that, it had a spokesperson. It had somebody that was going to be in the forefront to help with development, to say, no, the psyche of the offensive lineman is this way. And so the, how you might want to develop it or connect or attach to him is this way. And so it was really my senior year in college where I knew 
You know, there was something there. And people always tell me, oh, well, you can't do all three. You're not going to be able to scout and evaluate, coach, and then, you know, develop them as a strength coach. And I kept, I kept asking the question, why not? <laughs> Simply, why not? And then, again, like I was in – I after I left uh, college football, uh, you know, I ended up coaching college for six years. Uh, and, again, I was still able to kind of do all three. But, of course, like that starts to get narrowed down, different tasks you have to do that requirements you have. Um, as a college coach, kind of pull you away from that. But then I got into the private sector, which again, went up where I in 2014, but it allowed me to do all three. And so when I looked at, again, my life's work, my purpose, I knew what my purpose was and I was going to attack that every single day that again, I was going to keep asking the question, why not? Why not? Why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. There, nobody gave me a real answer. And so that's what I do. I do all three still. I scout, I evaluate, I develop, um, and I coach. And there's nobody that's going to tell me I can't do it because I'm doing it. Yeah, I freaking love that, man. The the why not the the when someone asks tells you you can't do that. It's oh, I love that. It's a big, why not? it's a big middle finger. Like, tell me why. Give me a good reason at least, and then I'll prove you wrong after. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I like it. I. I'm going to kind of tell you how I see O-linemen, kind of tell you one of my passions in life. You tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm right, and then kind of give us a little bit behind the scenes view. So I am, I'm huge on behind the scenes. Like I love it. I would rather watch someone fall 80 times on a bike trying to do one trick than actually see them hit it. Like I love the the process, the behind the scenes Um, that there's an example of this dude. um, He's a Scottish, I just came up with this example in my mind and I'm not going to remember who, what his name is. It's like Danny Macaskill or something. He hops on a BMX bike and just does these incredibly cool tricks. Well, there's a video of him jumping from one slack line to the other on a bike. It's incredible. Um, and then I watched the behind the scenes and it took him four hours to get that one shot for like 11 seconds of, of viewing time it was four hours to transition from one slack line to the other just shot after shot miss after miss after miss kept going kept going kept going finally got it um i mean and for that same reason i love behind the scenes it shows the mental struggle it shows the stuff that is actually important for people who want to get to that level you have to know what's behind the scenes you have to know what you have to go through before you can ever make it um and the way i see kind of the o lineman position in football. Now I'm no guru by any means. I'm a, a, I really love football. I love watching. I love being a part of it, but like I didn't play. I don't know the position. What I see it as is those are the trenches. That's the behind the scenes that a lot of people ignore. They don't watch. They don't pay attention to because of all the fireworks around them. Would you think that that is a fair way of seeing it? Do I need to be reeducated? How do you? Oh, you you're hundred percent. You're hundred percent correct. So interesting thing about the offensive lineman is that it's five individuals committed to one go, you know, um, offensive linemen have a scheme um, that they've got to execute and it's the team within the team. It's the only unit that works in unit sense in which that it directly impacts the game. It's the only unit that typically with the exception of the center can't record a tackle or, receive the ball or, you know, get an interception. So with that being said, 
it's a process driven position really okay yeah. and the cool thing about it is is that just like you said when the offensive line is thriving it's the offensive line when the offensive line is not playing very well and then starts to fragment and become individuals you start calling out who got beat yeah. So as long as the offensive line is thriving and doing what it needs to do, you know, people will not recognize them. But the minute there's a splinter, the minute there's a chink in the armor, you start to recognize those individuals. And that's what starts to fray the offensive line. So, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Uh, people don't exactly uh, pay attention to it. Yeah, I have I have mad love for those trenches, man. It's so like I love watching uh, an awesome play and then people running and celebrating with their O-linemen, like the quarterbacks, like, Oh, I got yep. all of you. Like that was incredible. Thanks for making that happen. Anyway, I, that's my, I love watching that and observing that in football games because that to me shows appreciation for the behind the scenes for the trenches that usually gets overlooked. Yep. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. I, I want to transition real quick. You, you, you said that during this whole time of COVID, there's been a lot of adaptation to what you've been doing. Could you talk to us about that high and the low of, of navigating through these tough times? Yeah, you know, there wasn't so much a low, so to speak, um, in terms of what we needed to do. And sure. I say that because, um, again, I think in times of disruption, in times of disturbance, you've got to adapt, you got to innovate, mm-hmm. and you got to always face forward. And that's kind of what we did when we knew we were going to have to shut down um, you know, the actual facility in which we train at. Um, when I got the first inkling of it, I made a major investment in putting together a pretty state-of-the-art home gym in my garage. I've got about a 550-square-foot garage gym now that, I mean, you can get any and everything you need to get done in it. And so what I had to change and what I had to improvise with was really changing. Normally, I would train groups of two to three, you know, or three to four. And that really, you know, dwindled down into more of two or three at a time. And we rode every, you know, 60 minutes to 90 minutes. Um, I went from having 30 guys to about 15 or 16 guys from the end of March until about June 1st. And then in June 1st, we got back in our facility. But one of the things that I knew I had to do as a leader and as somebody uh, that these men were depending on for their career is I needed to have a solution. You know, I didn't have all the answers, mm-hmm. but I knew, and I told them, I said, give me seven to 10 days. I'll have a solution. And sure enough, I made a time elapse video from where my garage had, you know, just boxes and stuff in there to me laying the floor to all my equipment is eventually arriving. And so I knew I had to face four and I had to go with the skid. So if people don't understand that, uh, when you don't go with the skid and you try to overcorrect, you lose control, you, you spin out. So going with the skid and accelerate through it is typically how you start to make progress and you avoid losing control. So again, in times of disruption and displacement, when there isn't normal, you got to adapt, you got to innovate, you got to always face forward and go with the skid. And that's kind of what we did uh, during this uncharted territory. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things also is not only were we dealing with COVID, but we were dealing with a society that became very hostile, a society that became very fragmented and, and separated. Mm-hmm. And so 
one of the big messages, and I, I got this from John C. Maxwell, is to do the small things where you can lead where you are. Because when you lead where you are, it starts to become, you know, vibrant. And people start to feed off that. And you want people to feed off that during these type of times because the more positivity and the more leaders we have, uh, the better off we're going to be uh, in our everyday life. I love that. Going with the skit, is that something, where'd you hear that? Where'd you pick that up? So that particular, um, that particular, I would say concept came from a lady named Lori Ann Biggers Lowry. And mm -hmm. Lori Ann Biggers Lowry um, does many corporate uh, leaderships. Um, she's like one of the heads of Lloyd's of London. Um, and I, heard, I was able to hear her and John C. Maxwell speak at the Leadership Summit uh, here in Dallas, Texas, back in October. And it was phenomenal. Cool. Yeah, that's something I, I've experienced that because I, I, I mean, I grew up in Utah, drove in the snow and every, black ice and all the fun stuff. And I didn't go with the skid once and it was uh, almost tragic. I, I made it out of it pretty lucky. There's definitely angels protecting me, but I love Absolutely. that principle because I, I saw, I was like, oh man, yeah, that would have definitely changed. I, I definitely I'd go with the skid. That is, that's a sticky idea. Um, we're going to yeah, go. Because people, people don't know about that. I mean, people feel like that they need to hurry up and switch. As soon as you switch the wheel, it's game over. Yeah. Things don't go, go well. Go with it and accelerate through it. Yeah. I love the accelerate too. That's a very important, like you can't just go with it. You got to go with yeah. it and keep pushing. Um, Duke, you've, you've crushed it. I love it. Uh, we'll go with the last question and then, uh, then we'll end the podcast and move on. Um, the question is, what is your message of thriving? How do people deliberately design a life where they can thrive? Now, before you answer, you need to pick an audience and speak to that audience, whoever it is, whoever you want to speak to, whether it be a single person, 7 billion people, what is your message for them? Excuse me. What is the audience? And then what is the message for that audience? The audience I'm going to speak to are the underdogs. Those that, you know, have had to fight and claw for everything um, that they've earned uh, and that they've hit their rock bottom and they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, or they didn't, they didn't, they just didn't have enough money. They were in a situation I was in. Um, and my advice to you is this, never stop. Yeah, never stop. Identify what makes you unique and what makes you special and then go with that. I think a lot of times what ends up happening is people can't overcome some of these type of things because they don't live a life or they don't find their purpose. As soon as you find your purpose, start gearing your actions toward that. Set goals for yourself. Be real with yourself. That way you can hold yourself accountable. Um, that was one of the things that I end up having to do and I continue to do is that I make sure that once again, as I said earlier, once I set a go, I'm going to make sure that I hold myself accountable with those action steps, and those objectives. Um, but my, my next message within that is that your current situation isn't your final situation. Failure is never final. And so once you are able to identify Again, the things that make you unique and the, your strong suits continue to build out upon those because I guarantee now there's always a need for whatever makes you unique and whatever makes you strong, whatever you're passionate about and whatever you feel like your purpose is and how that's defined. Um, 
But again, it's not just going to happen. You got to have a process. You got to, again, set those goals, set the action steps, and don't be afraid to ask, why not? Love it. Love it. Thrive Cast Nation, this is Duke Mannyweather, trainer of offensive linemen in the NFL, uh, or all, all levels as well. Um, uh, thanks for being on the show. Super appreciate it, man. No problem. I'll talk to you soon, Clay. Yeah, we'll see you all in the next episode.